Barry Stoneham played in an era where the great teams generally had great centre-half forwards. Think Brereton, Kernahan, Danaher, Lowe and Carey, and it illustrates the point. Stoneham wasn't out of place in that company for the best part of five years before a horrific leg injury cut him down at his peak. Welcome, Baz. We're going to get to the good stuff. But do you feel cheated? Nice to be here, first of all, Mike. Thank uh, you, Barry. Feel cheated? I'd say uh, yes and no. And certainly no from the first part, having a, a long career and playing VFL, AFL footy. As a young guy growing up watching Geelong and supporting Geelong, just wanted to play one or two games. So when you, when you sort of say, do you feel cheated? Not in that respect, but yes, to an extent where I got injured um, right at the peak of my career in you were. Uh, late 94. And didn't sort of get back to where I wanted to be for the rest of my career. But it's sort of a bit of a... A to and fro, I must admit. One of your long-time opponents, and one of the better ones, yep. Glenn Jakovic, told me this week that you were, quote, a completely different player when you came back. Yeah, look, he's right. I mean, I missed uh, for the best part a year and a half, for nearly two years, really, because the first part of 94, I missed the first 11 rounds with a calf injury. So coming back after a long period on the sidelines with broken leg and ankle, other parts of your body actually do give way. My agility around the ground and sort of turning around sharply and jumping probably fell away quite a bit. I had to adjust my game quite a bit as well for, for that regard. Um, and, it, and from 96 to, say, 2000, I had a couple of groin operations, I snapped Achilles. Mm. So it took its style, and I think those players who are out for a long period, you are a different player, there's no mm. doubt. The end of 93, the last six or eight games, yep. I must say, this is sort of sacrilege for me, but <laughs> you were sort of a Carey-esque at the time. You were, you were brilliant. That was a great run for you, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a good run. I think 90, 90 was my best and fairest year, then 91, 92, then 93. The first half of 93, the team itself had a poor first half and we were just playing the 92 grand final. And then the last six or seven rounds against the top six, we had to try and beat them all, and we did. And it's, Look, I had a great, not a great, I had a very good patch of football mm. by then. Like, we played Eagles, we played Essendon, St Kilda, Conywood, Hawthorne, who were all the top five or six, so... I was just running at the peak of my form, I think. I had the confidence to go with it. I played in a couple of grand finals in 89-92. When you hit to about 25 years old as a centre-half forward and a key position player, that, that's your time. So I think, certainly, I was really confident going into the 94 season and as, a, as one, I suppose, of the leading forwards of the club. And having Gary Ablett around me and Billy and, and all these senior players with me, we had a really exciting uh, bunch of players and I think I was certainly one of those, hopefully, mm. back in those days. Jacko, as in Jakovic, yep, yep. was uh, humble enough to say that you touched <laughs> him up a couple of times. And I remember a game late in 93 yeah. in Perth. Uh, you had 25 possessions and kicked 4-2 on him. He wouldn't have liked that in front of his own crowd. No, no, Jacko wouldn't like that at all. I remember the game really clearly. It was the last round of the season. We had to, we had to win to try and keep in the finals contention. And uh, we had a couple of players pull out. I think it might have been Buddha, Kenny Hinckley. That's when Blighty was a coach and had to stand on a, on a bench table on the boundary line. I think the box had actually sort of, either the phones had fallen apart. There was no communication from the box down to the ground. So I, um, yeah, the WAC was a beautiful ground to play on for me. It was a Friday night. It was a, a beautiful night in Perth. You know, clear conditions. And from the way I played, I was sort of a running player yep. as a centre forward. So Jack and I had a lot of good battles over, over the time. And we, we had a great win that, that game. Um, Gazza kicked a few goals and yeah, I had a good game, there's no doubt. I sort of used to run up, run Jacko up the ground a little and turn him around towards goal, and it sort of worked that day. Now, I'm a bit squeamish, but I want you to tell me uh, in detail what happened when you broke your leg. You broke yeah. your fibula and you broke your ankle in a rucking contest. That's right, it was the old Princess Park uh, against Fitzroy in the ruck. I went to the ruck quite often uh, for the team, and it would have been, I think it was maybe late first quarter, potentially. 
and went up for the, the ruck. Uh, our arms sort of met, put me off balance a bit and came down and the ankle obviously gave way and cracked and then the, the fibula cracked. So it was round 21, which was um, not a great time after missing the first part of the season anyway. And uh, going into the final series, not great timing. So it was, again, really clear on that. I, I sort of can't get it out of my mind over time. Mm. It's been a long time ago, 24 years ago. But it's still like yesterday. Well, it cost sure. you a grand final place, didn't it? But uh, tell me this. The history books say that after two or three weeks you trained mm. yeah. with, with the hope of playing in the finals in 94. That's not so, is it? That's true. Yeah, look, in hindsight, you look back and you think, would you try it again? You probably wouldn't. But the advice I was given at the time by different people, or a couple of people in particular, if you can stand the pain, structurally, the leg should be OK. Well, only because it's the two broken bones. That's right, <laughs> leg and ankle. <laughs> so they put a plate and 13 screws initially in the leg, in the fibula, and that's what they said, well, OK, look, in two or three weeks' time before the finals, you can go out and train and see how you go. So we were training at St Mary's Ground next door to Kinnear Park mm -hmm. at the time. And I uh, got to the stage where the pain was really excruciating and I'd go and kick the ball and it'd go one metre from my foot on the ground. So I thought, well, that's not ideal. It's not a great way to <laughs> approach the finals. No. And I got to the stage where I just couldn't stand the pain. So I just said, look, I can't do it. And um, again, just missed the whole 94 final series. And again, in hindsight, um, a really bad move from my behalf. And I suppose the advice I was given as well, because if you had your time again, you'd just sit it out. Mm. Let it heal, naturally, I think, more than more. So than you were training with a plate and 13 or 14 screws in it? I was, yeah. And did, did one of those screws go in the wrong order, in the wrong yeah, direction? Yeah, it did. Um, in January of 94, I was, I was training pre-season and still really sore. So I had a fair bit of pain and I was running around the ground doing laps and trying, look, this is not quite right. So we x-rayed it again and there was two screws pointing in the wrong direction. <laughs> um, into my calf. That's why I had a sore calf. Well, he did so do the sore. operation, did he? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so we thought, well, it's still broken as well. There was still a crack in the fibula. Um, so we went back. I went to Peter Wilson then at Vimy House mm -hmm. to have a look at it. It was pretty messy and they re, uh, re-plated it, re-operated and then an infection set in um, in 95. And then uh, a third operation was a brain graft from a hip to replace the, the, uh, the bone that actually had gone away from the fibula. But the bone had died, had it? Yeah, yeah. there was a big gap. I don't want to say big, probably that bigger gap yeah. in the fibula, and they took a bone graft from the hip to fill it in. Um, and the infection, it was like a, a banana in my leg. It was so it was just like a curve and real, really um, hot and, and infected over a long period of time. So it was a long, long comeback, and then that's probably why my confidence was down as far as coming back, mm. running, jumping, the whole lot, because you sort of thought, well, I've had such a long injury year and a half, and infections and the stability of the leg was a bit of a concern to me, but eventually it came good. Do you harbour any, any grudges? <clears throat> regrets, a couple of regrets. Uh, grudge, uh, potentially, yeah. Not, not against anyone immediately in the football club, uh, certainly. <laughs> um, there's no one... I mean, even the doctors are great, physios were great over that time. It was more, I suppose, at the time of the surgery, when you look back and you think, well, it should have been done properly. When you mm. look at the X-rays going forward six months later and it's still broken and there's a couple of screws pointing in the wrong direction, that was a concern, that's for sure. So a bit of a grudge in that regard because I was at the peak of my career mm. and I think if it had to been done, and, and I'm, I'm certainly at fault as well as far as the rehab went and how you know, I, didn't, I came back too early. And but all players do. If you're told to do if you're told you can do it, yes. you do it. If yeah. you're told not to do it, 100% you cannot do it, you wouldn't do it. But... We're all competitive beasts mm. and you wanted to come back. And the, the, the club had been through 89, 92 grand final losses. 94 was another chance to try and 
right the wrongs from those years. And I was a vice-captain at the time, so I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm really keen to play. Mm. But, uh, yeah, there was a bit of a grudge, I suppose, looking back. But, you know, time goes on. Let's go back to 89, the famous, yeah. the famous grand final. Yeah. Hawks play Cats. Geelong kicks 21 goals and loses a grand final. It's almost unheard of, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it is. Amazing final series, for that matter. Um, I was 21. We had a really young team. Um, Blighty had come to, the come to the club that year after John Devine had us for three years. And he just... He more or less gave us the confidence to attack and play natural flair of football. The grand final... What a game, an amazing game, but the results... Still, we lost by a goal. And you, you really look back and you see the guys going through premiership wins over the years and you're so happy for them. Mm. But that was a real opportunity for us to, to have that glory. Um, and we, we were a great attacking team, but 21 goals and lose and your you full four gets nine goals. Yeah. You think you'd win the game. And wins the North Smith. Mm. And you're talking about a great attacking team. Let yeah. me ask you about the word attacking. You attacked them, the Hawks, from the opening bounce, didn't you? There's the, everyone knows the story of Mark yeah. Yates yeah. targeting Dermot at the centre bounce and probably doing enough damage to send him out of the game. But Dermot being Dermot, he played on. That was uh, preconceived, that plan, wasn't it? Yates, ran onto the ground knowing he was going to attack Dermot. He, yeah, he did, and so did we. So the mm. team, the 21, was 22, who went on the ground that day knew, and, and the coaches, of course. It all came about from earlier in the season when there was a game at Princess Park, Geelong Hawthorne, and Yates and Dermot are two tough blokes, and Yates was at the boundary throwing, watching the ball, and Dermot, from what I recall, ran through him ruptured his testicle, yeah. uh, which obviously would be pretty delicate and mm. a lot of pain. So in 89, the, the Brownlow Medal Knight, Paul Couch, won the Brownlow. And uh, then Blighty, during a week, said to our team before, obviously, the Saturday, Dermot's got a reputation of, obviously, a great player, champion and a great bloke, but he also can try and pick off some blokes mm. at centre square in the big games. So he said, we want to protect Paul Couch and Mark Bairstow and Gary Hocking. We've got to prevent him doing that and get him first. Um, has anyone actually put their hand up? And before he actually <laughs> full, uh, finished the question, Yatesy, yeah, I will, due to the fact of probably 10 weeks before that when he uh, put him out of action. So we went into the game. We all knew it was going to happen. Didn't know how well it would go or, or otherwise. But, um, you know, certainly looking at the footage, um, and not, at the time, obviously, you switched on watching the ball in the first bounce, so you don't really know what's going on until you actually turn around and there's action everywhere. But Yates, he, he got in beautifully with a real hip and shoulder yep. down the front. But to Dermot's credit, he got back up and kicked two goals. And, How uh, did you feel? What was the mood in the team? I mean, I know you didn't have a chance to ask blokes, but could you sense well, that wasn't supposed to finish the way it did? That yeah. Dermot's supposed to be going off the ground, not, not to the forward pocket? Yeah, you're, probably, you're right. It was, it, was, it, was really, it was a really beat-up mood, though, because we got the first goal. Gazza got the first goal, um, and Dermot was down on the ground. Yates had got him. There was action everywhere. There was a few scuffles around. So it was quite a, a really um, adrenaline-type start-up mm. to the game. Uh, Dermot, as I said, he, he was about to go off, and down he went to the forward pocket. And again, if not that I've ever been a coach, and I never will be, I don't think, but um, you nearly would have put Yatesy back onto Dermot going back down to the forward pocket. Um, but... You know, he really took a few deep breaths and, you know, Dermot, the vision we see, getting two goals. And that really escalated Hawthorne to go that bit further and, and also probably got Geelong a little bit excited by... You now we saw, we heard that, Dermot went down and probably went in the man a bit too much in the first quarter, mm. looking back at it. They, they outscored you by six goals, didn't they, in the first quarter? Yeah, they did. And it was a lot, a lot of those goals were actually from silly freeze, freeze from us against Hawthorne down the field... A bit high, you know, a few high tackles and a few pushes and what have you. And 
Court of time, six goals down, and Hawthorne, who were the superpower, mm. was a long way back. You mentioned Gazza, Gaz mm. Senior, yeah. before. You were a long-time teammate and you were a joint captain with him for a couple of years. Yes. What was it like playing with him every week? Did you? I get the feeling that even you blokes who played with him held him in awe. Oh, no doubt. And, and still do as a player. I mean, 10 years with Gazza and uh, he knew my name, which was good. Um, <laughs> I played alongside him most of the time. But he, he was an amazing player. He could do everything. There is no doubt. He could kick both feet 50 metres. He could run, he could jump, he could fight. He's a, he was a tough guy. Didn't handball much, didn't have to. Yeah. Um, but when, when you played alongside him, some of the things he did, you just shake your head. I mean, your opponents just look at you and just, what do you say? Mm. So I played, him, played with him at his real peak when he hunt full forward, 100 goals, 100 goals. And he's just an amazing player to play with. And, you know, and, and, said he, he, and he had your back because he was, he was a tough guy. And you could hear him coming from behind you quite often, yeah. being at centre-half forward, he's at full forward charging out. And he was just a, a complete player to me. You ever seen anyone that might rival him? In terms of influence or turning, oh, a, turning a game? I think Wayne Carey, there's mm -hmm. no doubt. I mean, people ask me quite often over the years who's the best player to Wayne and, and Gary. Very hard to split. I mean, because I've played with Gazza for 10 years every week, I'd say Gazza by a fraction. But, but Duck obviously played in premierships and he was an all-time, all-round player as well. So I think those two are very similar players. Nine goals Gazza kicked in 89. Yeah. If I've got a criticism of him, I thought he's... Other three grand finals, his return was only modest. Do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, to an extent. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I mean, he played. He played okay in '92 from what I recall. '95 had a quiet, quiet day in '94, but he uh, he had a few injuries later in that in those years too. I think in '95 in particular, he had Steve Silvani against him and mm. the greatest fullback around, as they say, over the years. So. I think 89 obviously was his best. He had a great final series. We had Essendon, Melbourne, Essendon, Hawthorne. The Essendon game is yeah. still the game that I thought was the best game I saw Gary Abbott play. The preliminary the final at Waverley. Yeah. yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. We won by, I think, about nine, 15 goals. And it was a beautiful day at Waverley. And Gazza, some of those goals and the yeah. way he was moving was exceptional. So that was far and above probably his best final series and best four weeks of footy. Um, but, you know, how he changed his game from being a winger half forward to going to a full forward and a power full forward was amazing and um, you know you sort of look back and think I was so lucky to play with Gaza for 10 years mm. at the time you, you appreciate it but you probably take it for granted a bit so you mentioned the 95 grand final which is the yep. fourth losing grand final in seven years for mm. your footy club you didn't play in 95 you're in a suit in the coach's box that's right what about <clears> at <throat> half time Barry uh, well for half time we're down by 40 points um, I'd missed a year and a half of footy and uh, I was sort of, I was coming back slowly. My leg was getting better. I was on the bench at the time, actually, the first half. And there was a bit of a scuffle down in the forward pocket at the half-time siren, which was uh, Punt Road End, Billy Brownless, mm -hmm. uh, Ange Christou, um, Kuda. And if Ange, Kuda comes in. That's right. And yeah. Fraser Brown. It's sort of a bit of a scuffle. And, you know, I was pretty fired up at half-time for a, a number of reasons. One, we were behind by 40 points. Secondly, I, couldn't, I hadn't played for a year and a half, and I was the captain at the time as well. And thirdly... There's quite a few supporters who were in the front two rows who were really critical of the team, which you can understand a little bit, but I got quite loyal towards my, my team. So I was sort of walking across the ground, um, off the crutches by then, uh, and the, the, the sort of the blue was just, you know, still scuffing around from the pocket all the way towards the race. And coincidentally, I met the, the, uh, the pack as I was walking off the ground to the race, and I, the red-headed, pretty fiery at the time, threw a couple of punches, 
Um, I didn't hang around to see if they landed or not because I thought <laughs> not a great idea, but I had a bit of a swing at Ange and I think Tudor and Fraser Brown and those guys because I was a bit, bit scared for Billy because he couldn't fight. No. Um, so you have to look after your mate. Billy said he picked on Ange because he didn't think he'd hit him back. It was a good matchup, <laughs> that's for sure. And I, yeah, so I, I swung a couple into the race and the CEO at the time, the, the late Greg Durham, was the first person I saw. And I, the fire in the belly was still going. And I said to Greg, don't say anything, you'll be next otherwise. Which is not great. <laughs> Did you really? As a captain to the of the CEO. Um, and then yeah. uh, obviously we lost by 10, 12 goals. And uh, Monday night we had the review, the fourth grand final loss in seven years. Um, and Gary Ayres obviously was a coach and we all sat down there very, very sombre. And uh, I was in the back row, sort of hiding away. And he said, there's only one guy who had a go on Saturday. He was wearing a suit. I'm going, oh my God, that was me. <laughs> So I got fined by the AFL. Um, $5,000. $5,000 yeah. at the time. Um, so I'm not proud of what I did, but it was just one of those things. I just, I don't know, just something just clicked. You were, you were an angry redhead at times, weren't you? <laughs> uh, yeah, probably was a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, when I say angry, I was just competitive. I think it was one of those things. I, I was a competitive beast yeah. on the ground. Yeah. Um, and it was. I, I loved the contest. I loved a bit of contact. I loved tackling and all that sort of thing as well. So um, there were angry times, I suppose. I got reported a few times. Be it, be it I should or I shouldn't have, but I did. Yep. Um, just one of those things in the footy. Baz, explain this to me. You're a forward, you don't scrag, yep. you don't hit the bloke you're playing on generally. How come you had 400 free kicks against you? I think I was hard done by in those days. So what if Anything to do with...? I was, I was, I was quite lippy. Yeah, yeah. I, I spoke to the umpires a lot during the game and due to, I think I said earlier, the, the red hair and the aggressive style, I got a bit, um, mm. a bit nasty at times. So um, I think as a forward, I got less freeze for me. Yeah, you but did. It's got scragged all the time. But um, yeah, I think I was just unfortunate. I'm happy with the honest explanation. That's right. <laughs>
there was two bad losses in 94-95. At the end of 95, you talked about what happened in the crowd. Did the town tend to turn on the, on the, on the footy team? Yeah, they did, I suppose, and you can't blame them. I mean, they got impatient. I mean, oh, generally, they're very loyal, aren't they? Yeah, they are loyal. Yeah. And yeah. They, look, when you say it's a one-team town, it is. There's also other supporters in the town, but yeah, they love their club. They they, they bleed blue and white most of the time. Um, and '89, after we lost back to the, to the city hall, and it was the roads were full of people. '92 a bit less, '94 mm. a bit less, and '95 it was pretty barren. And you can understand why they I just thought, well, that's four times they've tried, yeah. haven't succeeded. And they got really impatient with us. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that sort of you regret not winning one, of course. It, mm. it harbours a way to you quite a lot. But um, the supporters have been fantastic. Hand on heart, how did you feel in 2007 when the Premiership drought broke? Oh, I was wrapped. I mean, there was a bit of talk before coming up to the grand final from uh, in, a, in a press about past players. Would they be happy or would they be a bit jealous? No jealousy at all. I mean, we had our chances and we couldn't make the most of them. Uh, 2007 was a great day. It was actually... We celebrated pretty well, like mm. the, old, the old guys all caught up with the, the whole football club and had a fantastic time. I remember being there you know, the whole game, after the game, just over, overjoyed. Because I'm a Geelong boy, through and through, um, born 1K from the ground, yep. all that sort of thing. So for me, Tim Darcy always told me, you're a supporter before you're a player, then you're a player, you retire, then you're a supporter again. Yes. And I certainly was that. And I think all the players had the same, the same thought process, the same, well... Tears? Oh, yeah, there were tears. Yeah. And even now you sort of feel a bit chill up your spine because yeah. it's just... I mean, it was a great era for the footy club. Yeah. And we, we did our best and it wasn't good enough and you certainly want one. But, uh, you know, a little tinge of thinking, oh, I wish it was us. Mm. However, you couldn't be happy for the club and the players who played. Uh, a couple of years later, the, um, another flag. You, there was a game, a grand final, that you shared... You sat with uh, John Cherrick and John Devine. Yeah, that was 2011. That was an um, emotional day for you. Yeah, it was. That was a really emotional day. And, and uh, it, was a, it was probably the best of the three for me as far as going to a grand final for Geelong watching it. Uh, because I'd sort of gone with a few mates. Michael Mansell had been one, a few other schoolmates. Went out for lunch, walked down to the stand, no functions, no responsibilities. And sat next to Johnny Sherrick, um, who had lost his son, Wayne, who played with us many years ago. Um, and Johnny was really emotional. Because mm. obviously he said, I wish Wayne was here to see us and yep. all that sort of thing. And Johnny Devine, who I love and adore as a bloke and ex-coach and a great fellow and hard as nails, to sit there with those past players mm. was incredible. The guys who played in the 60s, and they were overly emotional. So when you look at all the three, um, they're all great days, but I think that was the best for me. And beating Collingwood was yeah. probably even better. We can't have a, an interview with an ex-Geelong player and not talk about Malcolm Blight. Yeah, yeah. Just paraphrase your thoughts on Blighty, the coach. Uh, I hold him in awe, I must admit, Blighty, uh, as, as a, firstly a player when I was a young kid growing up watching him. As a coach, he, he was a hard man, um, but I, I hold him in great regard as a coach for me and for the team. He, he, played, he coached us to three grand finals. He did everything he could to get us over the line. He was, he was a harsh man, though. I mean, if he, if he didn't like you at the time, uh, you didn't do the right thing by the team, you'd know about it. Were you on the receiving end? Now, not a lot. Now and then I was. Uh, there's no doubt. I mean, certainly if I did something silly and, you know, whether it be a little bit of a, a raised elbow or what have you, back in those days, certainly cop the wrath of Blighty. Um, I think Blighty was a coach that if you had a go and if you had the ability, if you had a real go, that's OK. But if you had the ability and didn't really give 100% at different times, he wouldn't like it. So he certainly had certain blokes 
in, in his wrath at times, but um, I just thought he was a really smart, astute person on footy. And he taught us, he more or less taught us how to play. Mm. And we'd played for three or so years before he came along. But he just taught us the small things in football. And you sort of think sometimes, what, what's he talking about? Like shoelaces and bootlaces yeah, and all yeah. that sort of thing. But there was always something behind his, his logic. What do you mean by shoelaces and bootlaces? How to tie them up, not tie the shoelace. Like so the ball wouldn't put it land on the side on it. of the, yeah. sort of the top of the boot. Yeah. All these little things at the start of your career, which you never sort of think of. Um, but because he'd done so much as a player, you couldn't argue with him. So he certainly, at times, he went, he'd go crazy because um, he was so probably frustrated. Like? Oh, the, the Austin McCrabb incident, um, yeah. where people was pretty well publicised against Hawthorne in 1990. At Waverley. At Waverley, yeah. when uh, we had the, the game plan. We'd lost to Hawthorne the year before, 89, of course. I think it was the first round at Waverley, and he had a game plan in place, don't go across the ground, across the uh, goal face. Aussie did, yeah. and a quarter time, we put him 15 metres away from the group and just went crazy at him from a distance yeah. away. Um, it was plenty Adelaide when we played Adelaide half Just time. before you leave the McCrabb incident, how do... Austin's teammates cope with that when he's clearly humiliated in public? Yeah, look, it's, uh, you really felt for him, there's no doubt, because very embarrassing in front of a big crowd. There was one guy standing on his own and we were 40 metres away. So after that all finished, it'll give him a pat on the backside and, you know, we're with you and support you. If you're, if you're a bit older and more experienced, you probably do it a bit more about it, I think, at the time. I was just going to say, if he said it to you, he said, Barry, whatever you did, for argument's sake... Get over there and stand there by yourself. Would you have gone? Uh, yeah, I would have at 21, and I, th I think I would have been at 30 years old. Mm. However, because you wouldn't go against the coach in the public manner, but I think as you got older, certainly you'd have a chat to the coach after the game and say, That's not the way to do it. It's not on. As a young player and a young kid developing, looking for a regular game, you probably do most things the coach would say, or everything the coach would say. So, um, but you probably would support your teammate a bit more in hindsight by saying, look, to the, talking, talking to the coach afterwards or saying, come on, um, we're all in one, one together, that's, that's not on. Um, I'm not sure how bloody would take it if you said that, but, um, yeah, you, you live and learn as you go along. Before I let you go, mm. I love the romance of, of the Stoneham-Geelong story. You lived, well, Billy Brownless is within a shadow of the, of the yeah. footy ground. Yeah. Uh, you were a Geelong supporter. You had Terry Bright's number right. on, on yeah. your back. How did you get your first game and who was the casualty? Well, the casualty was Terry Bright. Um, so I was 18 in 19... showing my age now, but 1986. Uh, and you're right, as a kid, I mean, three sisters, we used to go down to the football club and watch the home games at Caninia Park since I was five years old. And I had number four, which my older sister had number four on her back and passed it down to me over the years. And Terry Bright was our sort of hero, as you do as a young kid growing up. Then I got to train with the senior, senior team when I was 16, 17, which was a great thrill for me. Quite uh, daunting, but then when you get a bit older and you sort of know, well, I can play a bit of this game, mm. you're not too bad. There's a couple of injuries um, to the Ruckman, and Terry Bright had been into the team um, as a senior player, and then John Devine said, I want to play you, as in me, uh, next week against Footscray. Uh, we're not sure who's going to come out of the team yet, uh, but we want you to be in because you're half-forward flank, resting Ruckman sort of thing. Um, so they dropped Terry Bright for me, mm. and I thought, that's a bit embarrassing. This is my... my Boyhood idol, Terry Bright, number four on my back, gets dropped to make way for me my first game. So um, I played some footy with Brighty, got back in and everything else, and without uh, blowing my own trumpet, the first kick was a goal. It was very exciting as an 18-year-old local boy. Uh, Lawson Joey's boys came down to, to support me and watch it. And, yeah, it was sort of one of those times. It was, I was in and out for a while for the first couple of years. 
Um, but it took me a while to sort of really get a regular spot in the team. But uh, it was a great experience. As I said, to be a St Joey's boy, mm. I knew a lot of the senior players because they were local boys as well. It was, it was a great thrill to play that one game, let alone the 240. Barry, I don't think you, you get the credit you deserve. Uh, and that's, I mean that. I think that yep. uh, at the end of 93, you are in the at the top level of footballers in the competition. Uh, and I genuinely feel sad for you that uh, at halfway through what was a, a career that was going to be memorable for yep. lots of reasons, never quite eventuated. But you've been told to be very proud of what you've done. Oh, thanks, Mike. Appreciate it very much. Nice to see you. Likewise, thank you.